welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, fellow scoundrels, and welcome to Great Shot Kid on the Nerd Party Network, the podcast that's examining the works of Star Wars creators, uh, whether they're behind or in front of the camera. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we're going to be doing something pretty special uh, for you. We're going to be uh, conducting uh, an imaginary film festival where we're going to do double features with the original Star Wars trilogy, just the original three that were released in 77, 80, and 83. But before we do that, Mike, it turns out that we did get email over at thenerdparty.com slash contact over right. to Great Shot Kid. Yeah. yeah. So it's always great to hear from people. And uh, this listener's name is Jeff. And uh, he he posited uh, an interesting question because on our show talking about Rogue One, we kind of hit on what I guess has been something that's been a point of contention for a lot of fans, which is the callbacks mm -hmm. that were woven in there. And we have, you know, we had opinions on them, you know, like we lived with them, but, you know, some of them I was cool on, some of them you were cool on, and, like, I, I don't think we lined up perfectly, but we had sort of the same feel about it. And so, basically, I, you know, to boil it down, Jeff's question was, why is it that there, that exists? Like, he, he portrays himself, he says, you know, point blank, he loves all of Star Wars, and he's not going to talk bad about it. There might be minor issues, but whatever. He doesn't understand why fans sort of like pick on those sorts of things, why, why they, they might focus on them. And so I'm going to give the floor to you first to, you know, what, what type of response you might have for Jeff. Well, I think that, you know, the callbacks can be done in one of two ways. One, you can kind of like build on the mythology which has been established and use certain elements uh, in order to enhance your story. For example, one which completely went over my head until someone pointed it out was the the Hammerhead Corvettes, you know? Yeah. Which is from an episode of Rebels. And yes. You know, I mean, I had no idea. I, I, you know, until someone like showed me that image from Rebels, Rebels, like a still, you know, and I'm like, oh, hey, I remember that episode, you know, yeah. and and like that type of thing is really cool, you know. But there's other things like the Walrus Man thing, where it feels like it's just sort of uh, a, a wink and a nod to to the audience. You know, the the R two D two and C three PO thing. You know, similarly. You know, it's it's it feels gratuitous. It feels like it doesn't need to be there, and it feels like the only reason why it's there is to uh, give the audience something to kind of say, "Hey, look at what they did there." You know, I don't know. Yeah. There, there's something which you know, it's. I mean, I guess we we hold Star Wars to a much higher standard. You know, I I, I remember at one point talking with, with my friend Max about A New Hope, and he was saying that the one scene in the movie which he dislikes is the gun turret scene. And the reason why he dislikes that scene what? is because it's the one scene in the movie yeah. which does not advance the plot. It's the one scene in the entire movie where you could remove it and it wouldn't matter. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I I see what Max is saying, but I I disagree with him about the necessity of it because I think that it's just a uh, it 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 accentuates the idea of Vader and Tarkin having sold the rebels on the idea that they had a difficult escape. 
Like I guess so, but, but, it didn't even, the, but they didn't even really do a... Uh, so you're saying from, like, Vader's and, and Tarkin's perspective? Right, like if they, they just like, flew away, it speaks yeah. to Princess Leia's point of, that was too easy. And Han says, easy, you call that easy. Leia's the one that sees through it, and she's like, that was a token defense. We got through that easily enough. I, I guess, I, I yeah. And Han I, is I, the one saying, no, we just fought for our lives right now. Like, it sells everybody but Leia on the idea that they shook their pursuers. I, I guess I see what you're saying. Um... I guess what w- the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, anytime you have a scene in a, a, a prequel movie, for example, with R2-D2 and C-3PO just saying, like, they're going to where? How come no one tells us anything? And it's like, in the context of the movie, that means absolutely nothing. You know, it means yeah. absolutely nothing. And it's like, okay, well, that doesn't need to be there then. You know, let's get rid of it. And... Yeah, the movie will, the movie itself will be better, and I mean the other thing with the walrus man, you know, situation which I I brought up uh, privately amongst other members of the network today is that it uh, destroys uh, the yes. my my head cannon, uh, for oh. uh, walrus man's origin, <laughs> which is the robot chicken sketch. Yes. If if you haven't seen it, just type in. You know, yeah, robot, robot chicken, chicken walrus, walrus man. man. It'll come right up. It is to me yeah. the definitive origin of walrus man, and I don't know why you would want to contradict that uh, <laughs> at all. You know, well, for for me, the winks and nods are uh, for, for me. It's if it if it infringes on the uh, the self awareness. Doctor Evazon and Ponda Baba being there, that's too self aware for me. 3PO and R2 kind of skirts that line, so I can kind of be like, eh, okay, okay, I get what you're doing. And I can actually, and I, w- I was originally not embracing uh, Red Leader and Gold Leader being there, but then when I saw it again, and I was like, no, they actually fluidly worked them in to a, you know, this is these are just characters in a battle, yeah. then I'm like, okay, it makes perfect sense what's going on right here. Yeah, they would be there. You know, right. that's that that uh, that type of thing I like a lot. Right. You know? And so I admit that my initial emotional reaction was a little bit hypersensitive to their presence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, it's just I'm sort of consistently like that. Like I, you know, it's even one of those things where I I made peace with, but I'm not totally nuts about Chewie's Tarzan yell in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Right. Because that's that takes me out of the moment. Because that's like somebody stopping the film and saying, hey, you remember Tarzan? Yeah. And it's like, no, shut up. I just want to watch what's going on. So, you know, I I just, I mean, for me, it's they, it's just when they infringe on self-awareness is where I really, and that's why, like with Force Awakens, I, I still hit on the, the, the hollow chest scene. Yeah. If it had been one shot, I wouldn't have cared. But the fact that they went back to it for a second shot and then like panned up, I was like, okay, okay, we, we know it's there. Now they do they do a, a callback to to the hollow chest scene in Rogue One, which I think is really really good. You know, yeah, because no, it that's a brilliant callback. A- add things to it. You know, it's you see people playing hollow chess, but it's not hollow. It's just chess. You know, they're playing right. with like actual physical pieces, and not only is that a nice little like, hey, they're playing that game, but it also in that particular scene speaks to the culture which they're they're in at that point right. in time the fact that these are not people who have fancy you know holographic games they have things which are made out of wood you know right. and they're playing the same games that you know Han Solo and che- Chewbacca play on the Falcon but 
you know, with with less money, you know? So yep. I, I thought that that was like a really good callback, which really added to to the scene and to the movie, you know? Agree. So, Agree. I mean, there to me, there's a way to do it. It's like when you do it like that, it works well. When you do it like Walrus Man, it's cheap and it's it's easy and it's not effective to me. It takes me out of the movie. Yeah. Because I, I know Walrus Man and you know, I'm I'm okay with him not being in every incarnation of Star Wars. Well well for me I instantly you know, and I'm not the only one. There, there are other people who have hung up on the fact of like, wait a minute, why were they in Jeddah? They're going to be in, they're going to be on Tatooine immediately. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't make any. And so it's you know, there's that whole thing. But Jeff, thank you very much for your email. Thank you very much for listening. We we do appreciate you listening. We appreciate you interacting with the show. And again, if anybody wants to reach out to us, thenerdparty.com/slash/contact. Look up Great Shot Kid. We get the emails when you send them in. So. Thanks again, Jeff, and uh, keep the questions coming, everybody. Yeah, so, thank you very much. Now that we've we've uh, answered Jeff's question, uh, let's get into the meat of the show this week. And again, we are putting ourselves in the position of we're running a, I'm going to say a three-day film festival, because I'm not watching myself six movies in a row, because that's that's difficult. That's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's tricky, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so we're doing a three-day film festival. Let's say we're... we're, we're putting putting on like a fundraiser or something and we have day one day two day three and the only requisite here is that we're doing double features pairing up things with star wars the empire strikes back and return of the jedi the the order we show things what we pair them with it's all mike and me we have not collaborated before this this is us just throwing this out there yeah so but mike, it's going to be like a new hope in some movie the first night empire right. in some movie the second night and yes. Jedi in some movie the third night. Yes. I'm glad you said A New Hope because that's going to be the first thing I throw at you. At okay. your festival, are you going to... Now, this is pie in the sky. This is, you know, cloud-talking type of festival. Are you showing special editions? Are you showing original versions of the original trilogy? Um, my festival is is like uh, the theater in Inglorious Bastards where we respect <laughs> the filmmaker. Gotcha. And uh, because of that, we're going to be showing the director preferred versions of, of each movies, which means uh, the special edition of A New Hope, the special mm-hmm. edition of The Empire Strikes Back, unless we can get our hands on that new 4K master, which they have apparently up at uh, Lucasfilm uh, Skywalker <laughs> Ranch, and yes. the theatrical cut of Return of the Jedi. Yes. Okay, so I, I'm in agreement with you here. Um, as much fun as it would be to show Star Wars without even the episode four in front of it, just to mess with people, Yeah. I do agree with you. I'm going to show Lucas's preferred version of the original Star Wars. Um, okay, so let's kick it off. Day one. What are you showing? What's what's your lineup? Okay, for this one, it's going to be a new hope first, and the second half of the double feature is going to be the Matrix by uh, the you're, Wachowskis. You're kidding me. Is that what you? That is, is exactly what I have written down. Yeah, high five. High five. All right. What what was your reasoning? My reasoning is that uh, the thing that makes Star Wars special is the fact that it broke new ground. It was something which no one had ever seen before, and that's the reason why it you know was such a big hit 
And that's the reason why people are still talking about it today. That's the reason why, you know, it's like in the top 10 or whatever it is on the AFI list and everything like that. And obviously, it was extremely influential. I would say it's not at all a stretch to say that it is the absolute most influential movie of the past 40 years on, you know, young filmmakers. And this has manifested itself in different ways. You see a lot of people who are making cheap ripoffs of Star Wars. Obviously, that was kind of the first thing that happened out of the gate. You know, now you've got a very unique situation where filmmakers who grew up watching Star Wars are getting to make their own Star Wars movies, which is all well and good. But I feel that if you were to ask Lucas what he would want, how he would want his influence on the next generation of filmmakers to manifest itself, it would be for those filmmakers to do what he did and create their own new, unique visions and and mm-hmm. mythologies and not try to mimic what he did you know, stylistically or in terms of storytelling, not try to add to what he he established, you know, in in his universe, but to create the next Star Wars, the next thing that, you know, 40 years from now, filmmakers are going to be, you know, trying to mimic because it's the most influential thing to them. To me, the, the absolute best example of that is The Matrix, I agree. I agree with all of your reasoning, and I, you know, I, I reasoned it out the same way that when Ma- when the Matrix came out, it was sort of like Star Wars. The technology for the you know the bullet time existed. We'd seen it in Gap commercials before, used it on a much smaller scale. Directed by McGee, by the way. Well, I never knew that. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but you, you know, and Star Wars did the same thing. It used technology that existed, but it applied it in a different and new way to help create this vision. And so, I, you know, like that, that is what, you know, speaks to me about the Matrix. And just like Star Wars, it burst onto the scene. Nobody saw it coming. I remember seeing the previews for it and saying, Keanu Reeves? Eh, okay, you know, maybe I'll go see it. And then some, a friend of mine saw it and like came out of the theater and I saw him that night. And he said, you, you have to go see the Matrix like right now. And I remember I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I got in there and I watched it. And I remember coming out of the theater and thinking, what just happened? Yeah. That is crazy. And it just, you know, and it, it was. It was it was a, a visionary thing. Now, just to keep it interesting, I will say that one, the film that almost unseated The Matrix for me to pair up with Star Wars, and this would be a very strange one left field, but Blade Runner mm-hmm. showing how world building on a dystopic scale can be done very effectively, again, with technology that exists and everything, but just an engrossing story that carries you along. And, of course, if we're going to respect director's uh, intent, we would have to go with the fifth fifth version that they released on? Yeah, the the, the final cut, whatever that is, yeah. Yes, yeah, we'd have to respect that version. But that got swept aside, and, and I agree with you. The Matrix makes the most sense, and I would show A New Hope first and Matrix next. Yeah, so, agreed, agreed. All right, so all right. The, the, all right, let, let's see where, let's try to mix it up here. Day two, what, where are you coming with it? All right, let's see if, if we're two for two on this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I would start with, with Empire, and the second film on, on, on the bill would be um, Richard Linklater's Before Sunset. Interesting. 
Okay, I it's that is not my choice because I haven't seen Before Sunset. Oh, have so you that seen, wouldn't have entered contention for me. Have you seen Before Sunrise? I have not seen any of the Before trilogy. And uh, ner- fellow nerd party host uh, Sean Eastridge gives me no end of grief about it. It's sort of like the way you uh, you you ribbed me about certain movies. He's like, I can't believe you didn't watch Before. I'm like, wow, okay, whatever. Yeah. I, so I, it, well, I, why I, why does it pair up? Tell me tell me why. Well, Before Sunset is the sequel. It's the second film. And for those people who aren't aware uh, what this trilogy is, it's uh, directed by Richard Linklater, starring um, uh, Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke. And the the premise is, uh, the, the first movie, Before Sunrise, it was made in uh, 1995. And it is about um, these two people, uh, an American guy played by Ethan Hawke and a French woman played by Julie Delpy who uh, meet on a train and they, you know, Ethan Hawke's going to go to back home to America, but he his flight doesn't leave until the morning. And Julie Delpy is just on a train back to, to France, back home to France. And, you know, she doesn't really have any plans. So... Ethan Hawke has this crazy idea, and he says, hey, why don't you get off the train with me, and uh, we can just, you know, bum around the city for, you know, for the night. And then in the morning, you can get back on the train and go home, and then I will, you know, fly off to America, and then, you know, that'll be it. And, of course, over the the, the evening, they, they fall in love, and the whole time, you know, they're aware of the fact that they aren't going to be seeing each other ever again, you know, in a matter of hours, right? So Before Sunset was made nine years later, 2004, where they meet again. And I I won't say what happens there because of what I want to ruin the first one and any of that stuff, but they meet again. And they have now Mm -hmm. this time, you know, again, just a few hours before, you know, they, they have to part ways. And... It is amazing. It's an amazing movie. The, the entire trilogy is, is pretty great. But Before Sunset, in a lot of ways, is like The Empire Strikes Back. I, f- I firmly believe that nobody would really care about Star Wars today the way that they do. I mean, everyone would still think it was a good movie. I'm sure there'd be a million sequels, probably a lot more sequels, honestly. But they'd all be like, you know... Cr- crap in a sense you know just like that thing like oh there's another star wars movie coming out how many of those have they made you know kind of like right. james bond movies or something and some of them will be good some of them will be bad and at yep. one point they've been rebooted or whatever i firmly believe all of that would happen if empire was not as good as it was empire is the only reason why anybody really cares about this franchise because it takes it to another level yeah, well, and, and if I can jump in there, because I'm sure that there's at least one person's, you know, brain suffering an aneurysm <laughs> at that statement. If, I, if I'm reading you correctly, Star Wars would still be acknowledged as a masterwork and yeah. impactful and game-changing and all of that stuff, but it would be regarded in the same sense without Empire Strikes Back as Citizen Kane. Yeah, I mean, where no, it would be like that is fantastic, look, but look at where we've come since then, as opposed to still regarding it as a vibrant and current work. Yeah, nobody talks about Jaws two, right? I haven't even right. seen Jaws two, and yet yeah. everyone is still in full agreement that Jaws is a masterpiece, right? 
I mean, yeah. I, I think that that's kind of like how how people would see it, you know. And then there would have been Star Wars 3D and Star Wars: The Revenge, and you know, whatever. <laughs> and then it would have I wanted, petered out. I want to envision them more like more like Rocky. Rocky, like Luke just yeah. keeps having the same fight over and over and over again. You just change some of the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, you know, you could do that. It's it's it's. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I really do think that that's kind of how it would be. It would probably be more like the EU is actually than than what the, the, the saga movies are. But mm. there would be no EU. You know, nobody would care. There'd be a few books that came out, you know, in right. some comics. But it's not like there'd be, you know, this thing. That it, we, there would not be this podcast, you know. Right. And before sunset, in a lot of ways, it, I, I feel the same way about you know, Before Sunrise is a great movie, and, you know, you walk out of that movie, and you're like, wow, you know, it's mind-blowing how good it is. But it's just a movie. When yeah. you have Before Sunset, it becomes something much, much larger than any mm. single movie itself could be. It becomes uh, a thing about people, about about. You know, I mean, when I when I say people, I mean the people who are watching the movie. You know, it becomes a thing about time and 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 how we change over the years and what happened in that that decade and and how you know, I mean, all of this stuff, all of this yeah. stuff, and it enhances the first one so much. And uh, yeah, I I I feel like Empire does the same thing. And I think that that would be a, a fantastic double feature. Any excuse to watch Before Sunset again is a good one, and and I think this is a, a pretty good excuse. Well, uh, you know, and I appreciate you. You really painted a picture of why I should see the Before trilogy, and you didn't give anything away, which I appreciate because now I'm even more motivated to see it. Because honestly, you know, oh, you'd pair this with Empire. Now I gotta see these things so that I can say I, I can fully understand you know, where you're coming from. So thank you for the homework. I appreciate that. And for, for those people, you know, it, it comes out on Criterion, the, tri the whole trilogy, February 28th, I believe. So check it out. There you go. Yeah. For me, when we get to Empire, I actually went back and forth on this a lot because, you know, second one in the franchise, building on the first one. So certain things like, you know, Aliens enters the brain. Godfather Part Two enters the brain. But what I wound up settling on, and I, I need your help because I'm not sure which one I would show first. But the one I would pair with The Empire Strikes Back, and let me give you the reason before we figure out what goes first, is Michael Mann's The Last of the Mohicans. For the express purpose that it is uh, a tremendous work. Both of them are arguably the best thing that either director did has ever done. And this is coming from a Michael Mann fan. I love Manhunter. I love Collateral. All of those sorts of things. But The Last of Mohicans is his, that is his masterpiece. He nailed it on every front. And The Empire Strikes Back, even though, yes, everybody knows Revenge of the Sith is my favorite of the series and everything, that doesn't mean I take anything away from Empire. Empire is a wonderful, fantastic thing. And I think the reason I ultimately pair them is because... They both end in a melancholy way with the heroes having taken some serious lumps, losses along the way, questions about identity and how do you carry forward, but still looking out on the horizon and saying, we took our hits, we've had our losses, but we're not giving up. 
we're going to keep pushing forward because that's what life is. And I think that that for me is what makes them pair well together. So help me out. Which one should go first? Well, I I don't really think that I'm qualified to answer that question because I've never seen Last of the Mohicans. Come on. Hey, you've never seen Before Sunset, so you know what? (laughs) Oh, you you know what? The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, okay. All right. All right. You know, I'm I'm a big Michael Mann I hope I didn't just blow it for you. Uh, No, 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 it's okay. I mean, you know. I, I don't know anything about the plot, so you know it's okay. it's all good. Um, and and there is a third version, a director's definitive edition. Yeah, there was a, there was a theatrical cut, and then there was a DVD cut, which was just sloppily done. And then they have uh, the director's definitive edition. I'll be sure to to check out the director's definitive edition because I am a fan of Michael Mann. You know, obviously, I've heard good things about Last of the Mohicans, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. You know, yeah. Okay, well, uh, I, I'm going to say for now what I would settle on is I would have Last of the Mohicans first, actually, in this viewing order. Okay. And then go into Empire. And I think because I, I feel that I've been leading a crusade for many years ever since uh, Kevin Smith painted the idea that Empire is the best one because it ends on a down note. To say that, and, and and the thing is, I have friends. I remember the conversation years ago. I was having a conversation with my friend Cecilia and I said, Empire Strikes Back ends on a hopeful note. And she just about lost her mind and said I was, I was nuts. I was out of my mind. And so I, I actually went to the trouble of writing like this long-form blog piece arguing my point. And I totally believe it. And so I would put Last Mohicans first so that when somebody goes into their viewing of Empire, they see what I see about the ending. So I say that. Go. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. And I'm not sure that Kevin Smith would disagree with you either. I think a lot of times you know a lot of those conversations he's writing for the characters you know and and not oh sure but clerks did damage man clerks did lasting damage i don't know about that you know no it's a good movie i'm not saying it's a bad movie i'm just saying that that empire jedi conversation and clerks colored the conversation about star wars for years afterward what what i love about that you know there's the whole thing about the contractors you know on on the death star and everything like that and someone in an interview like a few years later actually asked lucas about it and he explained how it all worked (laughs) i love that was pretty interesting but then he also brings it up on the episode two commentary i believe yeah he said uh there were a lot of delays and you know problems with labor and you know equipment holdups and stuff like that but he but he actually brings up clerks because he says oh, like really? I don't so that. he says something like he gets it wrong he says like so so it's not exactly how how it went down in that conversation between jay and silent bob which you know <laughs> right silent not, bob doesn't yeah. talk dude so <laughs> you know something he's a busy man and he's making masterworks and i mean the he, fact the fact that know. he saw it is pretty crazy you know I get the oh, impression okay. that that you know Lucas. I mean, as growing up, he's seen like a million movies, but like since like Star Wars, he's seen like three things. And I know that that's completely wrong. Yeah, but I think no it's way. just because he's such a like he's he's almost this godlike figure, you know. <laughs> so the idea yeah. that he's going to be like, you know, I'm going to watch Clerks, you know. I mean, that's yeah. just so weird to me. And anytime he says something like. You know, I saw Pulp Fiction. Like, he said that once. I saw an interview. He's like, I saw Pulp Fiction. I'm like, really? 
George Lucas saw Pulp Fiction? That's so weird. I mean, like, like there was a thing, like, when The Rock came out, they had, like, a thing on, like, Access Hollywood on, like, the red carpet, and they showed, yeah. like, George Lucas going into the movie. I'm like, he's going to see The Rock? I, I'm going to see The Rock. That's so cool. And and, and the, the the other two things which he's, he's talked about, which I think are, one of them makes, a, well, they both make a lot of sense, but one thing he says that he's, like, a huge fan of the show Rome, um, which, I was a fan of the first season. Okay, the second season sort of lost me. He he was complaining that they like canceled it right when it was going to get really interesting, and then he like went on this like rant about how awesome Rome is. And then uh, the other thing which he said that he watches on a regular basis is uh, the Speed Channel, the auto racing channel. Really? Which well, okay, makes no, I sense. Can see that. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Although at the time I'm like, wow, they don't even have that in HD. How does he deal with that? That's terrible. <laughs> But regardless, knowing Lucas, he developed some technology that upscales it to like, you know, yep. 4K or something like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Enough of that. Yes. All right. Well, so, OK. So now we're at day three. Everybody has, you know, bated breath, just like going into the theater in 1983. Everybody has high expectations. What are we doing with them? What are you doing for day three? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to start with, with the alternate movie first, uh, and that is Casablanca and the, the really, re- yes, yes. Okay. Casablanca. And the reason for that is because, um, Casablanca is one of, of very few movies, relatively speaking, which is considered to be a masterpiece, despite the fact that it was not a singular vision. You know, it was it was a, a studio film which had a lot of, you know, hired hands writing the script. It had a director who was under contract at the studio directing it, you know, who, you know, was assigned to the movie along with, you know, all the actors and everything like that. It is, you know, the crowning achievement of the studio system in a lot of ways. It's it's a bunch of people who were put together in sort of a factory style production and turned out, you know, one of the best movies ever made. And and that that's a style which I, I think, uh, you know, Return of the Jedi kind of used, you know, in terms of its production. I think that that's the style that, that Lucas would prefer to operate under. It's, it's very similar to it, like a television style, you know, where he had an idea, he had a vision, but he hired other people to carry that out, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't like a case of like, you know, Kirshner where Kirshner is a strong personality and has a very clear idea of the type of movie that he, he wants to make, you know, not that Marquand didn't, but Marquand, I think knew what it was that Lucas wanted out of him and, and what it was that, that Lucas uh, wanted to do himself and you know all of the pieces came together to make what I also think is a master masterpiece in uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So that's that would be my pairing: uh, Casablanca and then Return of the Jedi. You know. Okay. No, I I think that's a great pairing. I do, um, and it's especially nice because you know there are so many echoes in Lucas's work to the stuff from that era that he watched growing up. So uh, completely, completely valid, and dig that choice. I went in a slightly different direction. Uh, the little scamp in me at one point entertained the idea of using Star Trek II uh, mm-hmm. paired up with the Return of the Jedi just because of the whole <laughs> vengeance of Khan, revenge of the Jedi conflict and just give everybody a quick chuckle. And also, hey, you know, watching Star Trek II is not a bad way to spend 
part of your day. Yeah. But where I wound up going, and I'll explain my thinking with this, was, and I think the thinking is somewhat similar to where you got with Casablanca, but in a slightly different way, uh, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. Because hmm. there's very obviously a Star Wars residual influence on it. And I think that the two movies paired together is that I think that Guardians is a movie that is, its primary concern is that the audience has a good time and leaves the theater happy with a skip in their step and the heroes win and, you know, everything's cool and there's, you know, you, you get, you check off all of the marks and you have the hero finding out something about himself and I think that Return of the Jedi hits, you know, those same marks and Lucas said when they were making it, the whole point of this is for people to walk out of here feeling happy. He, mm-hmm. The whole purpose of Return of the Jedi was he wanted people walking out of there, pumping their fists in the air, saying, yeah, all right, what a ride. This was fantastic. And I think Guardians of the Galaxy has the same express intent. And so you can sort of see how Return of the Jedi is studio system. Guardians of the Galaxy is studio system. I mean, they brought in James Gunn, but he had his constraints put on him. Yeah. Now, he had a, a freer hand than Marquand did. Mm-hmm. inarguably but i think that uh i think that they are you know peas in a pod in their ultimate goal yeah you know i mean and there there is something to be said for for guardians of the galaxy sort of falling into that that matrix territory as well you know mm-hmm. I, I i saw a thing recently with james gunn talking about you know um how he was making the movie and the aesthetic of the movie and there was someone who was saying like, oh man, how come you're not using film? Film is where it's at. You know, that's all the the great blockbusters of, you know, you know, your childhood were shot on film and everything. And he said something to the effect of, I don't want to mimic the the style of the, the things that I loved growing up. I want to give the next generation, you know, a new a new style that they will love growing yeah. up, you know? I don't want to rely on nostalgia. I want to be the ne- the next thing. And, you know, I, I think that he really does take that approach to to making uh, that movie or those movies. So, you know, yeah, I, I could definitely see that being a good pairing with Jedi. Yeah. Cool. Well, we have given you, the listeners, our uh, our film festival selections, and we would legitimately want to hear yours. So, again, the nerdparty.com slash contact. You can reach out to us there. Reach out to us on Twitter at Join Nerd Party. You can reach the whole network through that Twitter handle. You can go to Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party. Reach us there. Uh, Mike, where can they reach you on the Internet? Uh, well, you can find me on Trek FM doing... Uh, from there to here, which is our daily rewatch show, we've only got one week left. Only uh, one left, but uh, it's it's exciting. So check that out, where we we, we watch uh, two episodes of Star Trek a day, and uh, you can also find me um, over on uh, commentarytrackstars.com. If you go there tomorrow, you will find our annual Christmas commentary, where where me and my co-host Max will be providing a commentary for a movie. Which will be a surprise, but check back uh, tomorrow Cannot and um, and yeah, you'll you'll see what that is. And then also uh, you can find me uh, this week, this past week, the most recent episode of Filibuster. I'm on uh, talking yes. to Marcelo from the Talk Film Society about uh, La La Land, 
which, spoilers, is the best movie of the year. And finally, you can find me over on Trek.fm again doing Stage 9, where we talk about the people who make Star Trek along with John Mills. Where, Where can people find you, John? Well, aside from annoying you on another venue called Stage 9 on Trek FM, uh, you can also find me co-hosting here on the Nerd Party Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. Uh, you can find me co-hosting uh, Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And, uh, you know, then you can look for Kessel Junkie online, uh, your social network of choice, and that's where I'll be. And while you're searching for us online, be sure to stop by LootCrate.com and uh, go to LootCrate.com slash Nerd Party, enter the code Nerd Party. And you'll get a discount on your subscription to Loot Crate, which is a service that sends you a box of goodies in different geek themes uh, once a month. It's a pretty neat thing, and uh, it's a pretty good discount, too. So LootCrate.com slash NerdParty, and use the code NerdParty. So until next time, uh, we look forward to hearing what your film festival selections will be. And get ready. We're going to be revisiting a Joe Johnston classic, Rocketeer. Rocketeer.